0: lost their fourth game on Sunday, November 8th against the Tennessee Titans and what was a lackluster performance by the Chicago Bears offense. The Bears were shut out for three quarters before finally putting on 17 garbage time points in what could be called a coaching clinic put on by Mike variable against Matt Nagy. Matt Nagy made critical errors in the first quarter that proved to be detrimental to the team come the fourth quarter. And David, I think that is the narrative that I think a lot of people have come around to is that Matt Nagy seems to be dropping the ball on his critical decision making. We've said it here before. And now it seems like a lot of the media around Chicago is coming around to it to the point in which they are starting to float out replacement names. And This is really concerning, not only for a coach, but for a team, because right now it seems like there's no one in control and nobody really knows what's going on. And I know that a lot of people in the Chicago media even pointed out that Tariq Cohen during the game even tweeted his frustration. And to me, that's a signal that You know, this team is completely disjointed to the extent in which a player doesn't even think twice about tweeting something negative during a game in which their team is competing, which I think is a very negative sign for the Bears moving forward. And you have to wonder, right now the question is not whether changes are going to be made after the season. The question is, are they going to be made during the season? And then the second question is, is it going to be a full clean house operation? Are they going to get rid of the general manager and Matt Nagy? Or are they going to get rid of Matt Nagy? It doesn't seem like something where you can sweep this under the rug and just say, "Oh, well, the you know the place didn't work out. The you know it just didn't fall our way." Um, I think that really these next three weeks will be critical. You have three division games, if I'm not mistaken, in a row. Where basically, if the Bears fall to five and seven. They are basically out of the playoffs. They've lost any chance of the playoffs, even with the expanded playoffs, where seven teams will be in the playoffs this year. If they lose these next three games, fall to 5-7, and seven, I think you're going to see Matt Nagy gone, and I think in the offseason you might see Ryan Pace gone. Is that, is that something you could see happening?
1: I think so. I mean, Pace has missed on a lot of his first-round draft picks, and he traded away a lot of first-round draft picks for Cleo Mack. Obviously, Khalil Mack has definitely gotten the return on investment the Bears were hoping for, and he kind of propelled that defense. The defense was good before they he arrived, but they took a step up, and now they're an elite defense. I am curious. I actually think Pace will go before Nagy, surprisingly, because the Bears had the number two pick, and they traded up to get Trubisky. Trubisky has only played three games this whole year, or two in like a half, basically, and the Bears aren't getting the return investment they wanted for him. Uh, additionally, Leonard Floyd got shipped off to the – or not shipped off, but his uh, fifth-year option wasn't picked up, and he was signed by the Rams. And he's producing out in the West Coast. And who did they sign? Robert Quinn. He's only had one sack, one sack the whole year. And he's the Bears' second-highest-paid player on defense. So I don't know what's going on, what they're seeing, because they are missing on a lot of guys – And for some reason, the guys that were either already here or were diamonds in the rough are, like, bailing poor coaching decisions and poor GM personnel decisions out for the Bears. So it's going to be very curious. We are in an expanded playoff form going into this year with the pandemic going on. And I think the magic number is nine wins. The Bears are, you know, more than halfway there. They just need four more. So, you know, nine and seven is fine by me. But, you know, if they, if they have a losing record, I would not be shocked to see if they shake things up and they get rid of Nagy. Yeah,
0: well, first, Robert Quinn, I think, is playing very well. I think he's not putting up sacks, which you would like to see out of one of your players that are paying premium dollar. But there's no doubt that he's affecting game plans. He's playing well. He's gotten more involved in the game plan. He's In the past three weeks, his snap counts have gone up consistently. And so I think he's playing well. And then, I mean, that's a whole nother discussion about uh, do you expect your players to produce basically directly from how much dollars they're making? And if, if that's the case, why not pay maximum contracts to every player? Well, that's not really how it works out. I mean, he's affecting the game plan. He's helping. He's doing well. And I, I think, like, that's something that that's just where I stand on Robert Quinn. I think that that's not a miss. I just think that, Right now you're seeing, like, this problem where it's, like, either it's the players or it's the, coach. It's the coach. If the players can't do it, it's on pace. And right now I think one really negative signal where I almost wonder if, you know, Dave already made a decision on pace and that's why he wasn't allowed to make as many, you know, moves during the uh, trade deadline because maybe upper management's just like, hey, you know, we're just going to be conservative and hold on to our draft picks because you're out of here and we're going to see what a new DM can do. Right. You know, that's a possibility. But the, the fact that you had a decimated running backs room and no movement at the trade deadline, along with another ailing offensive line with really minimal movement,
1: I mean, yeah,
0: you know, and maybe it's hard to say that you're going to make a lot of moves when I think they were sitting at what, five and three at the time. Yeah, Maybe that's an argument, but At the same time, you know, if you're in there and you're fighting for your job, you're going to try and do something to improve your chances of keeping your job. Right. right? Uh, It just doesn't make much sense to me. And and the the one last thing I'll add is just like with the GM question is that this Bears team for the past four seasons – The problem has been that they don't have a strategic communication strategy with the fan base. And this is why I think that muddies the waters for people like me and you who like to focus on the football is that Ryan Pace basically and whatever the front office, they set these expectations that they consistently do not meet. Like the first season, they told us that Mike Glennon was going to be a great quarterback and that Trubisky was going to be able to develop under Mike planet, then it's like, oh, Trubisky's our guy. We got Matt Nagy, and he's going to be amazing. Yeah, they had a good year that year, and it was pretty good. I will say but, this. But then consistently, even this year, Nick Foles is here. He's the savior. It's all these expectations, and they don't meet them. They need to be realistic in the way to communicate yeah. with the fan base to mitigate this type of noise and frustration.
1: It goes back. It doesn't help anyone. It goes back to that saying, under-promise, over-deliver, by keeping – the standards and expectations at a bar that you see that fits um, the personnel you have and the expectations of the fans. The Bears have only had two really good quarterbacks, or two quarterbacks to make the Pro Bowl pretty much since the Pro Bowl has been around. That's uh, Jim McMahon and Mitchell Trubisky. Trubisky had a one good season when uh, Matt Nagy first got here. I think that's partially in because. The Bears had a soft schedule. They finished 9-4 and four that year. In addition to the fact that Matt Nagy had a one-read offense, meaning if he gave one read to Trubisky and if it wasn't there, then he said, Trubisky, you can keep it. Then he wanted Trubisky to graduate to the 200 level of his offense, which Trubisky unfortunately couldn't get to. Another argument is Trubisky was drafted with Pace and John Fox in mind and their offensive system that was there in place before Nagy got there. So it's – they were trying to fit a square peg in a round hole, so to speak, in that regard. And I, I think just kind of backtracking to how the Bears have the the upper, you know, they didn't, you know, uh, people above um, Pace didn't want to trade away draft picks and stuff like that. It's because every year that Pace has been here with the exception of one or two, he's traded away the first round draft picks. And you've got guys that are getting old and beat up, Younger rookies are cheaper than getting veterans, and that brings an argument of are veterans, are you getting a better return investment on veterans because you know you're proven and they have NFL um, experience versus unproven rookies who are giving blindly millions of dollars to? I don't know, but I, I will say this. We, we talked about having self-awareness within the organization, and sometimes I do think the Bears lack self-awareness. And you were talking about strategic communications and setting standards that are reasonable for the fan base and for the organization. I look at like the Packers; they know what they are. They know who they they knew what kind of guys come to that organization, what kinds kind of guys leave. The Bears, I mean, for the they've created a great culture, but but if you don't have the right personnel that actually perform on the football field, then it's it's a moot point. It just all comes back to I think pace is gotten some good guys, but he's also had some duds. And then Nagy is just not adapting his knowledge to the personnel he has. I mean, you look at David Montgomery, who everyone was high on, had a great career at Iowa State. And, I mean, what is he getting, like 40, 50 yards a game on, like, 20 rushes? That's not great. On top of that, he runs like Jordan Howard. Yeah, that
0: year with Trubisky when they were playing well, I was going to say Jordan Howard in multiple games, when they needed to run out the clock, they just gave it to him. He grounded out yards just like you see Derrick Henry do every week. And that is a major factor to what I think can make a young quarterback successful because then you're not putting them into that pressure cooker, you know, that like boiler room situation where you have to perform at the most stressful, most important time of the game in the last four minutes. But The other thing you said, you brought up the Packers, and it's like, okay, the Bears draft a quarterback, and in his rookie season, he has to end up starting because the guy that they signed, who we were told was going to be the next great quarterback starter, you know, he paid his dues. Well, then Trubisky had to end up playing. Then we see the Packers, and now this is different because they have Aaron Rodgers, but the Packers drafted Jordan Love, and I don't even, is he even on the the roster? He is. They just like... They're, they just bury him away developing, they're just you know? grooming them they're just grooming them that's
1: what they do they get them in the system that's what they do with Rodgers now they're doing a Jordan Love it's brilliant
0: it well it's really it's it it's in a sense not brilliant because it's how every organization every business every school every successful football program every successful like business small business big business what what have you you put people into situations where they can gain from mentorships, they can gain from learning, and they, they slowly progress in their career because that's just naturally how people operate. You know, like and so and then that brings me to kind of like the third thing that I wanted to remark on is when you brought up David Montgomery is as a football player, former football player and a football fan, I think that there's a red flag. When you see a player who was producing, whether it's like high school or college, You know, like if I was a college coach, this is how I would approach it. You know, if I recruited a guy who is a very prolific runner in his senior year of high school and we wanted him to step in, maybe I'm like a coach at an FCS school or something, and we want him to step in and become a prolific runner for us, and he's drastically underperforming, that's the red flag. I'm going to figure out what's going on with him, whether it's like class or like social life, like something's up, right? So there's clearly a problem that I would address. Well, if you're making the jump from college to NFL and your production is not quite at what you were in college, you know, he's adjusted. He's an adult. He is a professional. There's got to be a problem with the scheme and the coaching, right? Like, there's got to be a problem there which isn't working. Um, and that said, I mean, like, I don't think that quarterbacks ha- or running backs have natural vision. I think that vision in the NFL is something that is coached. And I think that this year we've seen Montgomery is not making the right cuts. He's not seeing what he's supposed to see with this scheme. And so I don't know if it's the running backs coach. I don't know if it's something fundamental. And I really don't think it's the, that problem is not the O-lines problem, right? Like having vision and understanding where your best chance for getting positive yardage is, is not an O-line problem. Getting the positive yardage could be, but, knowing where your best chance is, is something that's solely on the running back. So, like, there are a lot of these little red flags that keep popping up throughout the season where you're like, this is really the coaching staff. It really is. And, I, I, you know, maybe Nagy goes somewhere else and has, you know, success because he's learned from this. But, you know, like, when you hear him say things like, oh, I've never been through something like this. And you're like, really? You not know, remember that losing streak last year? Yeah. Like, I mean, you're head coach in the NFL, and you're having things that you've never experienced anything like it? That's ridiculous. Come on. Like, that
1: – Well, yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, he could be a brilliant offensive mind. Again, going back to it, Drew, you're a coach. Like, the fact that he's not adjusting to his personnel and putting them in positions that are – make them feel more comfortable enough to excel is still befuddling and maybe he's trying to do it but he's just not connecting or getting through to his guys I also will say let's backtrack a little bit the offensive line um, was kind of uh, depleted this past weekend there are a lot of backups in from injuries whether they be physical or COVID related Um, so the Bears Bulls had limited time and they might not be getting the push that they'd get with the first teamers. But regardless, I'm just – you've got one of your star players, meaning Tariq Cohen, who's never – who's always been respectful and great to the organization, tweeting, live tweeting a game after he was just handsomely paid and given a three-year extension. I mean, obviously he's doing it out of passion and he wants his teammates and his friends to do well. But it's also like, man, like if I was a coach, that wouldn't fly with me. And he's obviously clearly venting his frustration and sharing the same pain that fans like you and me are experiencing of other folks. So, I mean, they've got their second, uh, you know, division game this upcoming Monday against the Vikings who are kind of streaking now after two wins. And Dalvin Cook, I think we can say, is the best running back in the NFL at this point. So we'll see.
0: Okay. A brilliant offensive mind does not make an NFL coach.
1: Right. Exactly. So
0: so – that's something that I think that everybody needs to get through their heads and I think that one of the things that happened this week, so Monday Night Football, I mean we saw uh, Bill Belichick are fully his timeouts and he won the game because of his coaching. It was all coaching. I mean yeah the Jets are terrible this year, obviously, but if you watch the game, I mean like Joe Flacco played amazing and they, they really played hard and probably deserved that win. But it's just the genius of Bill Belichick and Josh McDaniels that won that game. And that that's what we've been talking about the whole year, about how Matt Nagy doesn't know how to use timeouts. And that's one of the – that's, like, kind of like when people talk about politics. I know this is, like, a, a landmine here, but, like, you know, one of the few powers that the president actually has is the power to veto. Well, one of the few powers you have as a head coach is the power to time out. <laughs> <Right? laughs> That's like a veto on the yeah. clock. That's one of the few actual powers you have, theoretically, because you have your coordinators, whatever, right? But, like, I mean, again, we saw where, like, there's this, like, weird timeout where, like, the Bears converted on fourth and six, and Barcavius Mingo had the longest run of the day. Yes, you heard that right. Marquarius Mingo had the longest run of the day for the That's Bears. Wild. And he's on and,
1: defense. <laughs> and after that, the Bears
0: took a timeout even though the previous play, they had only they gone 3 and out before that fourth down. Then when they converted on the 4th and sixth, then the Bears took a timeout, and then the play on the ensuing first down was like a draw for like 2 yards. Did you need a timeout to figure out you're going to call a draw? for two yards. I, I mean, and it, the timeouts this year, this week didn't be cut in the use of them overall was good, but it's just like, why did, was there not a play? Like, why can't you just be like, Hey, you know, we didn't think we'd get it. Just run a draw. And we'll figure it out during the play. What we're going to do more moving forward on this drive. Like it just doesn't show that there's a strategic plan out there week to week going in, figuring out what you want to do. It's like strategic it's not just about calling the right plays or doing the right things it's about having a tree you know there there's a tree of what you want to do and then there's branches right and so as various things happen you might branch and as, as soon at the end of the game when you get to that fruit at the end of the branch you don't know where it's going to be you don't know how it's going to work out but a head coach's job is to, to build your tree so that no matter what by the end of the game you get to that fruit right and so I just think what we're seeing is that Matt Nagy wants to just climb right up the trunk, right? He doesn't want to just figure out where the apple is. He wants to just go straight to the top. And that's not really what football is, in my opinion. And, you know, there are a few bright spots. I mean, Nick Foles on the stat sheet looked okay, although – He outperformed
1: Tannehill. His third down
0: play was awful, Mm -hmm. honestly. I mean, we saw him step up into a pocket – for once, which was awesome. But then he totally misfired Anthony Miller. That was terrible. Alan Robinson, um, before that first fourth and one, I mean, I, I just thought you saw a little bit of a lack of presence of mind to get that first down before he went out of bounds. But I don't, I don't blame him because I think he's doing the best he can with the system he's in. David Montgomery made some bad cuts. He's out in concussion protocol. But Ryan Dahl has proven. Your boy. And I, I have I have really ragged on this guy because he hasn't been proven and I feel like he's like you know, like this is who we got. But you know what? He catches out of the backfield. He's an athlete. He's a competitor. So I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of, like, shows the Bears what actually competing hard looks like in the next few weeks once he gets his chances. Because I feel like he's kind of been the fall guy in a few different places. You know, he had a false start, I think, in week two. And, like, you're like, oh, man, like, the third stringer goes in and gets a false start. You know, it's kind of like jitter stuff. He could be better than we thought moving forward. I thought the O-line overall looked decent for who they had out there, right? Like, and I thought the all-line before the injuries was good. And now, even without Sam Musker, they're on, like, their third center, right? And they mm-hmm. had Alex Barr snapping. Not good, but not terrible, right? There's, like, maybe one or two plays where he got blown up, and there was a play where I think – what was it? Um, Hambright, right? Is that who they have in? Scott Simmons. I think so, yeah. Hambright in there, right? And, like, there's one where there's, like, a draw, and he totally – You know, you set for a draw, you want to make it look like a pass drop. And so then he just ended up getting D to the other gap. And, you know, that's maybe one mistake I saw. But it's like, I I don't think they're really the problem. I think it's really this, like, critical decision making. And, like, I really don't understand what they're thinking in the film room on Mondays. I I don't know.
1: I'm just, like, we're getting to the point where we don't want to repeat everything we talked about from the week before. We're trying to move on as many Bears fans are, but I mean, it all comes back down to coaching. I mean, it, it truly is coaching, putting your guys in the positions to be successful. And I think this week is probably one of the most important games of the week to really, you know, oh, excuse me, of the, of the season, because this could shift the momentum and you got to win the division. You got to win your divisional games, especially against teams that are not as good as you. Kirk Cousins is not going to torch you and blow up the field on the offensive side of the ball. But I think the Bears can really gain some confidence this weekend if they have a, a stout defensive performance and then they end up switching uh, or getting some production from the offense. I don't know. Are the Vikings down this year, Drew, on defense?
0: I, I don't think they're bad. I, I I just think they're not quite what they were probably two seasons ago. But what, one thing I wanted to bring up, you said that this week is probably the most critical week of the year. That's going to be true for the next three weeks if the Bears win, <laughs> right? But right now, I mean, it's not only a race in the division. Right now, they it, the Bears are in a race with the NFC South.
1: Yeah, because, you know, they're loaded. You know,
0: the, you know the NFC West is probably going to have the bye. And then on top of that, they'll probably have pro- like three probably, teams, I won't, they're good. I won't say for sure, but they'll probably – they're going to be the division in the race for the number one seat in the wildcard round. Right. And so, I mean, like now you're really in a race at the last seat in the playoffs with the NFC South. And luckily the bears got a break. The saints annihilated the Tampa Bay bucks. And so the bears hold the tiebreaker with the bucks. They don't hold it with the saints. So they caught a major break there. But if they're going to make the playoffs now, you are in a race with not only now the entire NFC North, (laughs) Because the division is tightening up, but now you're in a race with the the NFC South, and you know the Bears hold the tiebreakers with Carolina with
1: with Buccaneers. Tampa Bay, yeah, and then they don't hold it
0: with the Saints. So then I I just it's going to be tough if they don't win this game because if you let the NFC North in it, it you just it's. The Bears aren't going to make the playoffs, right? I mean, they need I, nine I, and seven.
1: Nine and seven.
0: I I felt for a long time that since they lost against uh, the Saints and the Rams that they won't make the playoffs. But there's they still have a shot right now. But one of the things that really worries me is that the way the Bears played the Titans, I think that the Vikings are a very sim- similar team. They're very well coached. They have a guy who understands. What he has to do to win, it might not be pretty, but he'll get it done. Right when we saw the Vikings play the Packers, it did not look pretty, but the Vikings—or maybe conversely, maybe you thought it looked amazing because of such few possessions. But I see the same exact thing happening this week as what happened last week, where just because Nagy wants touchdowns not field goals, is, is he's going to make some bonehead moves. That's ego. That's ego and it's killing us. the
1: team. That's his ego getting in the way. I like Matt Nagy a lot, but man, just in the NFL, you got to take any points you can get.
0: It, it, what you said earlier about the money and whether it's producing on the field, it's kind of like there are certain players that are going to underproduce the money and there are certain players that are going to overproduce. It's like, why not have you, some of it be the overproduction from the kicker? <laughs> Squeeze some extra points out. If I mean, can. there's I mean, there, there, you're making – you're making much more ROI. You keep referring to ROI, and it's like you're going to have much higher ROI if you keep taking the points when you get them, right? Like yeah, that, exactly. That's how you make up wasted money.
1: Yeah, I mean, he, you should use your strengths here, Like, meaning I'm referring to the Bears with good defense, do, get any yards you can, and just kick the field goal. I mean, just make it close. Give, give. Also, like, don't piss off your defense by going three and out every time. Or not elongating your drives, or getting any points, and then having, expecting them to perform at the same level they've been performing, and then they let up points. I'm so tired of. It's like the Bears have to, have been gifted this awesome defense, and now they're going to destroy it because of uh, bad play calling and the the differential and uh, time of possession.
0: Well, I'm just going to add something here about the frustration from the defense. And I I don't think that that is something that really happens. I played on some good teams, and I played on some really bad teams. And I remember, um, you know, one year we were getting blown out. We weren't like 500 in the end. But as a defensive player, I never really saw it as a negative to have the offense playing poorly. I always saw it as my opportunity to improve my stat sheet because I just wanted to play football. (laughs) <laughs> like, I wanted to be on the field as much as possible. And, I, I mean, like, yeah, and I think that that frustration is something that comes after the game. You know, like, after the game, you come away, you take a step back, maybe you're in the locker room, you're like, geez, those guys didn't play as hard as us. You know, like, mm-hmm. I think that that's something that you reflect on, especially, like, in the film room. Um, or if you watch the game after. But I think, like, in the moment, I think these – I mean, these are professionals, they're competitors, and I don't know if that frustration is something that they're thinking of. I think it's a very much next-down mentality on defense, where it's like you're just focused on how you can get that tackle. But in terms of, like, both sides of the ball, like offense, defense, kick, like – I don't think that there's like they're not your enemy. You're so focused on the like other team being the guy standing between you and the W that I don't think that you channel it to your teammates. Maybe if there's a t- super negative culture, which which we've been told that there isn't on the Bears, <laughs> um, I, I don't know if that really happens as often. But I I, I think it's going to be interesting because I think the Bears, speaking of the defense, you know, we it, it's going to be interesting, and you're going to know how this game is going to go after the first drive. Because at almost every game, Chuck Pagano stays in his 3-4 kind of base defense. Almost all good coaches do that. You stay in your base, see what the other team is throwing at you. And seeing how Dalvin Cook can produce against our just base 3-4 with our linebackers out there is going to be really interesting, especially with our depleted D-line this week. That you're basically going to know how the game's going to go after probably the second or third possession of the game Mm -hmm. would be what I would expect. Because, I mean, you'll see if the Bears' offense is going to do what the Bears' offense has done for three weeks or arguably five weeks. And then you're going to see if the defense is really out here to compete and shut this down and win this game. And I think, like, and I kind of brought up Belichick winning that game solely on coaching because, like, You can't count on that with this Bears team.
1: Okay. who do you got? What are your picks for this weekend?
0: I think it's going to be tight. The way that Mike Zimmer coaches games, I would expect that the the Vikings are going to be conservative the whole time, right? And so I would say they're going to have more field goals um, than usual, even with their running game. I think that the Bears' red zone defense has been great, and that's kind of like in the past I'll pick – other teams by touchdowns because I think what those other teams were counting on were big plays to get into the end zone against this Bears defense, which I almost feel like that's kind of like what you would hope to do is like take the top off the defense when when you're facing a really great red zone opponent
1: Um, because then you don't even
0: have to think about the nightmare of facing the Bears within, you know, 20, 25 yards. But I think that this week, you know, they have that the great running, that great O-line. I would say that they're going to have a few more field goals than usual. So I'll, I'll take the Vikings 19. Now for the Bears, I mean, they could they could shock us, right? That's the thing with this, this Bears team is so inconsistent that they could shock us. If I was a betting man, I'll take the Bears 14. Two touchdowns. I think they're going to come late. Okay. Similar to the past couple weeks. Some garbage touchdowns. So it's going to be Vikings 19, Bears 14.
1: Okay. I will uh, do counterpoint. I think it's going to be field goals like you said. I'm going to go 16-13. Bears.
0: A a bit of a tighter
1: spread. Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be really more of a defensive game. I don't think Cousins is going to do anything flashy on the Bears defense. If anyone's going to do something, it'll be Dalvin Cook. I'm just waiting for the Bears' offense to just have a jolt and get back on track. Um, I think they're due. And so that's what I'm going to go 16-13, Bears. Well,
0: and and you brought up Cousins. That's an important point. He's not going to be flashy because he's not going to be allowed to. I don't think Zimmer's going to allow him to be flashy because historically when he plays the Bears in prime time, he hasn't performed to where the Vikings wanted him to for how much money they paid him. So I think that's a really that's a shrewd point. Uh, he's he's not going to be flashy because I don't think they're even going to be calling flashy plays <laughs> against the Bears on Monday night, right? And right. So that's kind of like that's where you'll see how conservative they are. You know, it's going to be a lot of run, run, pass, right. if the, if or run, 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 like they did uh, against the Packers, right?
1: Mm-hmm. Monday night, Bears Vikings.